everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, March 21st, 2021. Welcome to The Way Radio Live. Today's message is entitled, You Must Be Born Again. Before I get into that, uh, just like I said every week, if you have any trouble seeing or hearing, please comment if you're watching on Facebook uh, at The Way Ministry Church or The Way R12 on Facebook. Those are the comments that I see while I'm recording. Again, the name of the sermon today, the title of the sermon is You Must Be Born Again. It's based on John 3, 1 through 8. So let's pray and we will get right into the message. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again that we're able to gather here and to learn of you, to delve into your word. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless your word as it goes forth today, that it would uh, touch the hearts and the minds and the spirits of each person that hears it. Uh, that in this age of so much chaos and darkness, that it would be the bright light that it is, and that it would uh, pierce to the heart of those that don't know you, and that it would draw them to you, and that you do a mighty work in their lives. And for those that are believers, that are your children, that it would strengthen, edify, comfort, and encourage them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, you must be born again. If you've got your Bibles, let's read that first, and then we'll go into it section by section. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these th these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So let's begin by looking at verses uh, 1 and 2, John 3, 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, I'll put this up on the screen for you guys. Here we go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So it says that Nicodemus came by night. So why would he do that? It could have been because he feared being seen. And I sort of lean to this. Nicodemus was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Jewish leader. And at this time, the Jewish leaders were very irritated and concerned about the things that Christ was teaching. And eventually they would seek to arrest him and kill him. So I think uh, because of the position that Nicodemus was in, he knew that there was something special about Christ. He was drawn to Christ, but because of his position, he did not want to do it openly. There's also the theory that he didn't want to interrupt a rabbi during the day. He knew Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was busy teaching his disciples, and he didn't want to interrupt his day-to-day -day business. That could have been a possibility as well. Um, one point that I like to see in this is that he showed zeal. It was dark, everyone was resting, and while others were resting, he went to be with Christ. So all three of these explanations could be applicable, or maybe just one of them. But the, the fascinating thing about Nicodemus is he went to Christ at this time, and then he appears later in Scripture, and he becomes a believer. So he's a very interesting character to study in scripture, but symbolically, Nicodemus is in the darkness of this world, and now he's encountering the light of Christ. You could also look at it like he has been wandering through the darkness of lies, and now he is encountering the light of truth. But the important thing is that he came to Christ. That's the most important 
thing to see about this part of the teaching. Um, and like I said before, Nicodemus became a believer. If you, uh, after the sermon, if you go to chapter seven, John 7, 50 through 51, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So when Jesus, they were considering arresting Christ, the Sanhedrin was trying to figure out what to do because they knew he was a threat to their uh, corrupt system of power. Nicodemus actually stalled them and spoke up on Christ's behalf. And then it goes even further. If you look at John, or let's go back one, sorry, John 19, 39 through 40, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So he came with Joseph of, the, Joseph of Arimathea and helped him care for the body of Christ. So there was this radical transformation in this person, Nicodemus, where he first came by night secretly to speak to Christ and to learn what he was all about and what he was teaching. After Christ's fraudulent trial, crucifixion, and then death, he no longer seemed to care that it was known that he cared about Christ. He went openly with Joseph of Arimathea and actually took him down from the cross and helped prepare his body for burial. So Nicodemus was correct. Now, one thing I want you to notice here is Nicodemus was correct in what he said, but at this point in the, in the narrative, he did not yet know who Jesus truly was. He's just being introduced to the person and work of Jesus Christ at this point in their relationship. So this is, the again, a symbol of a sinner with uh, experiencing maybe their first exposure to Jesus Christ through the gospel. Let's look at verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus's question was, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus doesn't try to continue forward with the question that Nicodemus presents him with. He doesn't even try to defend the teaching and the work that he's doing. He hits him with a statement that seems to be from right out of left field. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus knew that the wonderful signs have been performed, that Jesus had worked miracles. But Jesus has taken the focus off of those and putting them right onto where they should be himself in the kingdom of God. So the lesson, one of the first lessons we see here is the importance of understanding that what is important lies beyond the signs. What are the signs and the miracles pointing to? Now, the Greek is purposely ambiguous and can mean both where he says born again. It can mean both again and from above. So born again or born from above, they both pretty much mean the same thing. If you look at this in the original Greek text. But what does he mean by, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God? What is it to see the kingdom of God? First of all, it's to be a member of the one true universal church in Christ. I've spoken before about there being a visible church in the world. Ever since the beginning of the church, there's been a visible church and there's been an invisible church. The visible church is the world, is, is what the world sees or might consider to be the Christian church. The true invisible church that is the true family of God that consists only of the true children of God that have been truly regenerated and born again in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is the church that only God sees and truly cares for and is bringing into eternal salvation through Jesus Christ into his kingdom. And that's been the way, again, since the beginning, beginning of the church until the day in which we, and to, and up until the times in which we live right now. Now, if you're a true believer, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You can look around at what the world considers to be Christian and what uh, so much of what is considered to be the Christian church. And you realize, like I've stated before, 
it's estimated that probably 90% of what is considered Christian or the Christian church in the age in which we live is nothing near it. We live in an age where a very small fraction or percentage or the biblical term that's used often through scripture, a remnant, is actually the true church of Christ. Seeing the kingdom of God is to be a child of God, not only saved, but also adopted. And this is one of those beautiful, comforting doctrines that's really a blessing for us to meditate on. See, we're saved. We have salvation in Jesus Christ from the, the penalty of our sins and trespasses, the condemnation that is due to us. But we're not only saved, we're actually adopted into and become children of God through Jesus Christ. So God doesn't just save us who are in rebellion against him, who have sinned against him, rejected him and his law and his son. Through his power, he regenerates us, makes us born again, brings blesses us with brings us to believe, blesses us with faith, leads us into repentance. But beyond that, he actually brings us into adoption as his children. It's fascinating to consider. If we see the kingdom of God, we understand what it is to have power in prayer. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We understand that if we are seeing the kingdom of God. We live through and by the word. Unless you are born again of the Spirit, the Bible will have very little meaning for you. It may seem like um, a fascinating study in history. It may seem like there's some great spiritual lessons in there. Jesus may be a great spiritual example to you, and you may want to emulate the things he teaches because they are beneficial for life, but you will still have no understanding of the power and the truth of God's word unless you are truly born again and you see the kingdom because you're born again. You will have a passion for the gospel that follows on what I just spoke of. You will have communion with Christ. As you study his word, you will feel yourself in communion with Christ and growing closer to him as you grow in knowledge of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will have fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. You'll have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You'll be guided and comforted and cared for by him. And you will have fruitfulness, which is the effect of re regeneration or being born again. All this is part of seeing the kingdom of God. Now understand that fruitfulness and good works follow regeneration and they proceed from faith. John 6, 28 through 29 says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the work of God is our belief, and through that belief, we have faith, and through that faith, rivers of living water pour forth through us in good works and fruitfulness in our walk with Christ. So you're starting to see how everything flows from Christ through us. To see the kingdom of God is to be admitted into heaven, and only the born again can know of heavenly things now and in the future, like I talked about last week. We, we are saved and we have our salvation already and also not yet. There's much that we look forward to and much that we will be blessed with in eternity in the kingdom with the Lord. Look at Matthew 18, 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. One of the greatest lessons you can learn in the Christian faith is to strive and to pray that you can always remain childlike before God, that you can always go to God as your father and seek to serve him and to learn from him and to fear him as a child does lovingly to their father. Many people that I've helped over, that have come to me over the years for advice who have maybe been in ministry for many, many years have reached a period where they feel like they're stagnant or they're going in the wrong direction. They don't have a strong, uh, fruitful relationship with Christ anymore. And the thing that I usually end up at, at, you know, ask, telling them that they might want to consider doing is put away the intellectualism, put away the study for a while, and just go back to just a simple walk with Christ. 
striving to know him one-on-one, that simple childlike faith. And then you'll start re-experiencing that joy, something that we all have to remember. And I've fallen into that trap over and over again in ministry where you get so caught up in ministry, you get so caught up in study or maybe doctrine that you start moving away from what's in the book of Revelation called your original love, which is that simple love of Christ. So be like a child before the Lord. Regarding the kingdom of heaven, Charles Spurgeon said, you think mayhap that heaven consists in those walls of jewels, in those pearly gates and gates of gold. Not so. That is the habitation of heaven. Heaven dwells there, but that is not heaven. Heaven is a state that is made here, that is made in the heart, made by God's spirit within us. And unless God the Spirit has renewed us and caused us to be born again, we cannot enjoy the things of heaven. You'll have no understanding of what I'm talking about unless you are born again. Let's look at John 3, verses 4 and 5. Nicodemus responds, he said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, see, we're looking back over a couple thousand years at this conversation. So if you've studied Christianity for any amount of time, you read Nicodemus's response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What you have to understand is this is a teaching that had never been considered before in the history of the world. So Jesus is presenting something to Nicodemus that was totally revolutionary, totally contrary to everything Nicodemus believed as a Jewish leader. And he did not have the capacity to understand what Christ was talking about. So when he said born again, he didn't have a spiritual context with which to understand this teaching. So he automatically just went to, for him, what was the logical context you mean I must be born again like I was the first time physically? So it seems maybe foolish for us to hear it now, but at that time, it really makes a lot of sense what his response was. But Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does Christ mean by water and the spirit? And there's been much debate and speculation over these this phrase down through history. It could be be referring to physical birth and then spiritual birth. It could be referring to baptism. However, at this point in the conversation, Christian baptism was obviously not instituted yet because Christ had not instituted it. And Jesus never claims in his ministry that John's baptism that had taken place was a requirement for salvation. Or it could have referred to water and the spirit, referring to a single spiritual birth, as alluded to throughout the Old Testament. I'll give you a couple examples of that from the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we have a picture there of water symbolizing rebirth and forgiveness of sins throughout the Old Testament. But regarding these three possibilities that I referred to, physical birth, baptism, or water and spirit referring to a single spiritual birth, I really believe that all three are included in Christ's statement of unless one is born of water and the spirit. Because I believe that we are born of water, obviously, when we are born physically. We are born again when we are born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit from above, and then we uh, spiritually have been washed clean of our sins 
because of having faith in Jesus Christ. And then when we are baptized in water, that was that is an outward rep representation or symbol of what has taken place within us spiritually. And then water and spirit referring to a single spiritual birth, I also think is applicable because of the way it's explained in the Old Testament. So all three of those could be applicable to Christ's statement. Now let's look at uh, John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So now Christ is drawing the parallel or the contrast between the flesh and the spirit, between the world and Christ. When we are born in the flesh, until we are born again, we cannot understand or comprehend the things of Christ. We cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Look at Romans 8, 7 through 9. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, how, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we're getting again that Paul's giving us a picture in the book of Romans as a con, he's given us a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And then 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That new creation is a new spiritual creation, born again by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. You see? So that which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. If you are not born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Christ continues in verses 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And I love this verse. Verse 8 is one of my favorites. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So what's the picture, the metaphor that Christ is painting for us there? He's making clear to us that the Holy Spirit reaches the people that the Holy Spirit intends to reach. It's beyond our power, and it's beyond our understanding. Such an important uh, lesson here for us to understand, especially if you're in ministry. Look at Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And I want to go back to what we were talking about. The wind blows where it wishes. Whoops. It says the wind blows where it wishes. And like I said, I want you to picture how the Holy Spirit is painted for us there. That's a good portion of Scripture for us to meditate on in a time in which so much effort is expended in boxing up, programming, marketing, and quantifying Christianity. If you understand that previous verse, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You realize that all we can do as Christians in ministry is simply share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We have no power to convert. We can't talk someone into becoming a Christian. We just have to pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work on that person. And if he's going to, if that person's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Holy Spirit will regenerate that person. And maybe then, it may be 10 years down the road, we don't know. But that's how the Holy Spirit works. Now, the reason that I said is if you understand this doctrine, you'll be shocked at how much energy is expended in boxing up, programming, marketing, and quantifying Christianity. I've had friends who have been pastors in certain denominations where every quarter or every month they have to send... Um, a report to the to the leaders of their denomination showing how many decisions for Christ they've had that month or quarter or whatever. Many missionaries around the world have to do that. That really is meaningless because anybody could could hear a very inspiring message. They could be excited about what the pastor teaches. Maybe the gospel wasn't even presented, but they said, "Yeah, I want to make a decision for Christ." 
So that can be very dangerous because we don't know if that if that decision is genuine or not. We're not told to count and quantify like that. We are told simply to share the gospel and to raise up disciples of those that obviously have come to faith in Christ. So if you're worried about how you're sharing the gospel, ever get through deaf, ear, deaf ears and the light of Christ will shine into blind and dead eyes, you simply pray about it. Work in ministry, ministry prayerfully. Share the gospel prayerfully. And you will know when someone responds and the Holy Spirit has done a work in them and made a new creation out of them, it will be obvious and you'll know that this is a person that you need to disciple up, that you need to pour your efforts into. But if you're simply trying to tally up names or decisions for Christ, you're not really accomplishing anything because how do you know that those people are truly saved or not? This has been a big problem in the church for many years. Again, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Now, I want to give you an example here. I'm using an analogy of worldly citizenship to help paint this picture a little more vividly. I want you to imagine that there's an English law that states that in order to become an English citizen, a person must be born in England. No matter how English you become in appearance, speech, and manner, you could never become an English citizen unless you were born there. You could appear English and you may think you're English. You may, uh, and people may think you're English and you may even think you're English, but you would not be English because you weren't physically born there. Now, I want you to think about that. How many people that do you know that are Christians in appearance, in speech and manner? Are they really Christians? They may appear Christian. You may, people may think they're Christian. They may even think they're, they're Christian. But are they truly Christian? You see? So this is with the kingdom of heaven. Put on all you like of Christianity. Appear in every way Christian. However, if you are not born again from above, then heaven is closed to you. A person may do wonderful and caring works, spend their lives in altruistic pursuits. If they are not born again of the Spirit, then heaven is closed to them. A reprobate in the clutches of habitual sin may strive valiantly and reform themselves. They may turn away from their destructive vices and lead a commendable life as a fine member of society. If they are not born again of the Spirit, then heaven is closed to them. That last statement is really a synopsis of one of the main reasons why I started the Recovery Reformation Ministry so many years ago. Because so many churches are leading people in habitual sin, drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, sex addicts, whatever it is, into 12-step programs and rehab or whatever else it is, Celebrate Recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever these programs are. And some of these people may get sober. The odds really in recovery, less than 1% really stays uh, clean and sober for any amount of time. But those that do, they claim often that they must be a Christian because they got sober, because they stopped doing the sin that they were trapped in. But if they've never heard the gospel, if they've never truly repented spiritually and turned away from the ways of the world and from, from sin completely and sought Christ, are they saved? You start to see my point. You see how dangerous it is when we try to do things in man's way versus God's way. And when it comes to overcoming sin, the only way that's God's way is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'll repeat that. A reprobate in the clutches of habitual sin may strive valiantly and reform themselves. They may turn away from their destructive vices and lead a commendable life as a fine member of society. But if they are not born again of the Spirit, then heaven is closed to them. Folks, a Christian is not a Christian without a Christian heart. And for a heart to be Christian, it must be born again in the heavenly Christian country. To see the kingdom of God, we must be reborn there by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So the point I'm trying to get across here is it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is that you know that the Holy Spirit has completely transformed you, recreated, made a new creation out of you, taking your heart of stone that was obsessed with sin and rebellion against God and turn, put, replaced it with a heart of flesh. And now you love God. You want to please him. You love his law and you want to serve him and you believe and place your faith in Jesus Christ. When that regeneration happens, then you know that you will see the kingdom of heaven. You see? Now, this may seem like a frightening and confrontational message, but it is the message that the Lord's giving us here. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no gray area in the Christian faith. You're either saved by being born again by God's grace, or you are dead in your sins and trespasses. It's just the way it is. There's two types of people in the world. Those that are lost in the world, dead in their sins and trespasses, and those that are saved in Jesus Christ and will and will spend eternal uh, eternity with him in his glory. That's all there is. There's nothing else. There's no gray area. That's one of the beautiful blessings of Christianity. It's black and white, right and wrong, truth and lies, Satan and Christ. You see? That's all there is. Heaven and hell. Now I want to look at regeneration here just as its own individual topic. And when I say regeneration, I'm referring to being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit from above. It is a vital and essential Christian doctrine. You must strive to understand what true gener regeneration is. The, hot, the gospel message hinges on this. In regeneration, God works at the core of who we are, at the deepest point of who we are, at the heart. And when the Bible refers to the heart, it's talking about your actual essence, your being, your soul, who you are. And understand that there is no required work or preparation on our part. Regeneration is not had through baptism. That heresy has been prevalent in the church since the beginning. So many false denominations try to convince people that you are not saved until you are baptized. And usually it's if you're baptized into their denomination or their belief system. Mormonism believes this. I believe Roman Catholicism believes this. If you believe you are saved through baptism, you are now claiming that you have the power over your own salvation and you are not acknowledging the sovereignty of God in his regenerating power that he works through the Holy Spirit. You're placing your salvation in your own hands. So if you have to be baptized to be saved, that is heresy, that is a lie, it is not biblical. You're trying to take control and credit for your own salvation. Regeneration is not had through works. No matter how many good things you do, no matter what a great person you think you are, no matter how many people you help, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Regeneration is only of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. God speaks the word and that raises the dead to life. Colossians 2.13 says, Whoops, we missed one here. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Consider raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Did Lazarus have anything to do with it? He was dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, rise and come forth. That's what he does with every person that he regenerates. Sinner, rise and come forth. You're dead in your sins and trespasses, and you're just in the same condition that Lazarus was. You have no power to save yourself. It's all of God. Regeneration is the free gift of God's grace. It's the transforming, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration precedes faith. You've got to understand that. We are regenerated. We're born again. Because of that, we now believe. Because we believe, we have faith. And because we have faith, we repent and we follow Christ. We are born again, we believe, we have faith, and it is all through grace. Now, here's an interesting one. Obviously, the opposite argument, again, that's been around since for so many years in the church, is the Arminian position claiming that every person has to make their own decision for Christ 
and it's all based on our choice. Now, everyone will make a choice whether to follow Christ or not. But what you have to understand is that choice that we make follows on our being born again. We make the choice to follow Christ because we've already been born again. But the Arminian position claims you make a choice for Christ. And because you've made that choice, then you are born again. Again, you're taking God's sovereignty and placing it on yourself. You see? Now, if you ask an Arminian, and I've done this many times, well, what about children? What about a child that dies at a year and a half old or, or, or six months old or a few days old? What about them? They didn't have a chance to hear the gospel. We know that everyone is born in sin. So they're outside of the family of Christ or the family of God. What about them? And they'll say, well, until they reach the age of accountability, they automatically go to be with the Lord if they die before the age of accountability. Now, that sounds really comforting, and it sounds logical. Problem is, it's nowhere in Scripture. It's not biblical, you see? So it's a nice argument, and you, you sort of go, yeah, I can see where that would make sense because, because God is loving. Problem is, it's just, it's not biblical. It's nowhere in Scripture. But what I believe, because of God's sovereignty, and because we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that infants can be born again. Their faith is not exhibited and exercised and visible as in adults, but they can be born again by God's grace. Why? Because it's not up to them. It's God's work. Now, if, as I state that, if you're thinking, no, I just, I just can't get my head around that, that there's no way that could be true. How do you explain John the Baptist? We read when Mary, uh, before Mary was told by Gabriel that she was going to give birth to Christ, Elizabeth, her cousin, was told that she was going to give birth to John the Baptist, that he would be a, a, a great man, great leader. Forget the wording. So when Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to bear the Messiah, and your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant, she goes to visit Elizabeth. And what happens when Mary walks into the room? Christ is in her womb. John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb. When Mary enters the room, Elizabeth exclaims that the baby within her womb, she felt him jump for joy. I believe she felt a supernatural energy and excitement from that child. And she says, because why? Because he knew his Messiah, his Savior, had just entered his presence. So what that tells me, the only way John could have known that is if he was already regenerated. Because he was what? He was seeing the kingdom of heaven. He knew who Christ truly was. So try to get around that one if you don't, if you think the kids have to reach an age of accountability. Again, what this all comes down to is God's sovereignty. If you're claiming that you have any responsibility for your own salvation, you are taking away the sovereignty of God. You are claiming that, that God is not sovereign in that act. And because we are dead in our sins and trespasses, remember that verse that said, indeed you cannot, it is impossible for someone through human will and power to come to Christ. You won't do it. I've heard a pastor say, I forget who, I think it was John MacArthur said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Even our continual sustaining of our salvation is no is by no power of our own. Christ sustains our salvation as well. You see? Now, another point I want to make is the time of regeneration is not as important as striving to know that we are spiritually alive. Again, this is a big problem. If someone has been prodded and convinced to say a, a certain prayer or to do a certain act and then said, okay, on this date, you became a Christian, we don't know for, for sure if that's true or not. But somebody may spend their life thinking, well, because I did that, I'm okay. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And they never think about it again. I made that mistake for years. You see? So the time of regeneration is not as important as striving to know that we are spiritually alive. I believe I was saved at eight years old. I remember accepting Christ. I remember being baptized a couple days later. 
but I led a reprobate life for many years. I was a very sinful person. And I came back to Christ, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. So was I born again at eight or was I born again later on? I don't know. See, God's time is so different from ours. We want to look at everything as a specific date. That birth may have taken place over all those years. Who knows? So don't obsess about a certain date. Just strive to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul tells us. The dead are, la- are made alive in regeneration. The unwilling are made willing. The heart of stone is turned into flesh. Rebellion turns to humility and surrender. And rejection of Christ turns to adoration at his feet. That is how you know you've been born again in Christ. Now, again, to go back to my earlier point, have you heard people say, I decided to become a Christian, or I invited Jesus into my heart, or I made a decision for Jesus? We've all heard those things down through the years in Christianity. Saying something like that makes as much sense as my son claiming that he chose to be born on November 9th, 1998. Think about that. My son was born on November 9th, 1998. It would be absurd for him to tell someone, I was born on November 9th, 1998, because that is when I decided to be born and enter into this life. That means he had to have total control over his conception, his gestation period, and the day his mother was going to go into labor and deliver. Why did Christ use the phrase born again? Specifically because of that argument. We have no say-so over when we're born. Our conception and our birth is outside of our own power physically, and our conception and our birth is outside our own power spiritually. It's all of God. I remember when we first started ministry here in Idaho, I was trying to help a man who had uh, been in prison for 17 years. He was a bank robber, uh, extremely, I believe, demonically uh, possessed. And he thought he was a Christian because he had said a sinner's prayer years before. This man, he was bald. He actually had a tattoo of Satan on the back of his head. And, you know, months and months of trying to work with this man who, because he thought he was a Christian, he didn't want to really listen to much. He thought he knew it all. And he's back in prison now. I believe he's on death row because not long after that, he murders someone. But that shows you the danger of trying to force someone to invite Jesus into their heart, to make a decision for Christ. Share the gospel. Pray that the gospel message pierces their spirit and their heart and that the Holy Spirit does a work on them. That's how you lead people to Christ. You cannot talk them into it. One of the most destructive errors in the modern church is believing that we are saved because of something we did and because we performed a required task. No. We are saved by God's grace beyond any power of our own. So I want to ask you this question. If you read about the early church, especially in the book of Acts, we hear people hear the gospel, Peter preaches, Paul preaches, and you hear that response, what must I do to be saved? See, that's when you know the Holy Spirit is working on someone because they realize their predicament. They realize what's called the great dilemma. I've sinned before a perfect and holy God. I'm a finite, sinful creature. How am I ever going to stand before God and be able to justify my actions and my sins? You can't. That's when you say, what must I do to be saved? This situation is impossible. Christ is the answer to that. And only the Holy Spirit can bring that about in us. You see? That's why we must plead, God, please save me a sinner. Those are the things we need to pray that we start hearing again in the modern church. Not trying to talk people into coming forward in an altar call and reciting a prayer or reading a book. And then on one page it says, if you say this, you know, you're a Christian on this date. That's nowhere in scripture. Pray that you'll hear people say, God, please save me a sinner. Cry, cry, Lord, what must I do to be saved? That is the response we want to the gospel. You see? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for your word. And even though we do live in an age where there's so much confusion, uh, there's so many lies, there's so much um, 
heresy that just infiltrated your church. Uh, Lord, we still rejoice because we know that regardless of how much there is, your truth overpowers it. Your truth, the light of your truth uh, exposes every lie and blows it away. And that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing to the division of joints and of marrow. And uh, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation uh, to everyone whom you do a mighty work in through the message of the gospel. And Lord, I just ask that you would guide us in the following week, uh, that you would open opportunities for us to share the gospel, that you would strengthen us, um, uh, give us encouragement and boldness, and help us to uh, stand strong and to uh, continue in the battle without wavering in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, something I want to share with you guys today. You know, we've done a lot of work in Kenya. Um, about a year ago, my brother and I decided to start a business. It's called Elephant Walk. You can visit the website at elephantwalk.net. And Elephant Walk is now the sponsor of the YouTube videos and the Way Radio podcast. And the reason we started Elephant Walk is because uh, multiple reasons. But one of the big reasons is um, so many people in places like Kenya are suffering in just horrific poverty. And there's such high unemployment rates that it's almost impossible for them to get out of poverty. And we discovered that if we could uh, import products from master artisans in places like Kenya, and we're going to be expanding to other countries as well, God willing, very soon, uh, that we could help them earn a better living. Uh, we could help their kids um, uh, be able to go to school more regularly. And it also helps support the ministry. And it also helps support our families. Um, you know, anybody that's been in ministry knows that if you preach the gospel, you're going to get very little support because the world supports those that don't preach the gospel. Um, so Elephant Walk is our sponsor now. And I'd ask you to please visit the website, elephantwalk.net. Um, you will see that the products are amazing quality. Right now we have an amazing collection of leather products, uh, handbags, purses, uh, wallets, and then we have a beautiful collection of wood items that are just phenomenal. And we have new items coming in all the time. So please take a look and understand that anything you purchase through elephantwalk.net helps support, uh, again, artisans that are striving to make a living in countries where it is very difficult to make a living, especially since the coronavirus lockdowns. Like I've mentioned before, I think it's the UN estimates that starvation across the world will probably double this year just because of the ridiculous lockdowns that have happened all over the world because of this COVID-19 thing. So a lot of people are suffering and we're trying to fight back against that um, through this business that we've started. The Lord is blessing it and we just uh, pray that you'd maybe uh, give it a visit. And also I wanted to share one person we've been able to help. Um, this monk, young man's name I forget how to pronounce it. Gayan Kialo is uh, the man that does our woodwork in Kenya. This is his son. And because of us importing his products, he has been able to enroll him in a decent school and to pay his tuition, which he was unable to do before. Uh, he was actually able to get him some nice school clothes. So he's not embarrassed uh, because he, he was not able to get him decent clothes before. And this is all because... Um, uh, we've been able to purchase his wood products. And now this is a man that we work with regularly. I communicate with this guy uh, three or four times a week and uh, he does beautiful work. You'll see if you go to the website and it was just such a blessing for him to, uh, to tell us that because of what we've been doing, he's been able to get his son back into school. So praise the Lord for that. Um, also, like I've mentioned before, very excited about starting a pastoral I can't decide if we're going to call it a pastoral training school or just a Bible school. And I'm leaning towards Bible school at my friend Patrick's church um, in the outskirts of Nairobi. Uh, this is where his, this is his church here. Um, if you look at this side of the screen, this is the church building. Patrick's house is right here. And then he's got three or four classrooms over here on this side. So we've already got the facilities in place that are not being utilized at this time. And what we're hoping is that, that there's such a, there, there's so many false teachings in Kenya. Um, uh, the NAR, 
Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Roman Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, they all just relentlessly send people there with their false teachings. And we are striving to push back against that. So we very much want to get this Bible school going. I have been sending them teaching materials, sermon notes, but we very much need to put a budget together to be able to take it to the next level. We need to get new um, furniture in the classrooms. We need to pay for printing. We need to put some uh, teaching, uh, some books together. And so I'm really striving to move forward on that as quickly as possible. Uh, but that's our big project in the ministry right now. And it's, I've been, I haven't been this excited about anything in a, in a long time. Uh, when the Lord just opens a door, uh, it's exciting to see it. And I know that he's going to really make this something special. So please pray about that. Um, if you'd like to Support the ministry directly. Just go to the way, the letter R122.org. You'll see the donate page there. Uh, each sermon is released the following week, usually on Friday, sometimes on Saturday, as a podcast. And you can find the podcast by going to the Christian podcastcommunity.org. Just search for The Way Radio in the search field. There's also a bunch of great Christian podcasts at that location. And then we're also on YouTube. Just search for The Way Ministry Church. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back here next week. Same time, same place. God bless you guys.